Welcome to Great Minds with Lost and Found, the podcast that connects people and reimagines systems to improve mental health for youth and young adults. I'm your host, Joel Kaskinen. Lost and Found is a comprehensive nonprofit organization that aims to do more to eliminate suicide for youth and young adults in the United States. Now that you know who we are and what we're all about, let's get to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Great Minds with Lost and Found. I'm your host, Joel Kaskinen, and I am here with our friend, Brad Hurst. It's Hurst, right? Yep, it is. Okay, great. Good job. Yeah, you nailed <laughs> I it. I was like, did I say it correctly? <laughs> yep. Um, Brad, welcome to the show. Thank we you. have you on for a plethora of reasons today. We're excited for, you know, a lot of stuff that's happening um, mm-hmm. as we have began a new and beautiful partnership with our two organizations. Yep. So would you just give a brief introduction uh, to who you are, the work that you do, and the new partnership that you have with us? Sure. My name is Brad Hurst, as you mentioned. I am the founder of Survivors Joining for Hope. We're a, a nonprofit organization that helps in with families that have lost someone by suicide. So we help with the financial support, uh, some of the emotional support. Uh, And really we were founded after uh, my brother passed away about actually eight years ago yesterday, nine years ago yesterday. So, um, but founded after his passing, he was active duty in the military and we had some assistance from, uh, they're called casualty assistance officers who came to our home and provided us a lot of support when it came to planning the funeral, the financial piece, and really kind of led us through that initial grief that you kind of go through when you lose someone by suicide. And so, the whole mission was founded in, in his memory and and the organization brought in the pieces that the casualty assistance officers provided. So that was kind of our initial goal and it's grown over the last seven years. And now we have the pre- pleasure of collaborating and, and merging and becoming a piece of lost and found. And we're very excited about that. So Heck yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, so we are merging the um, official acquisition goes live July mm-hmm. 1. So uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you on, not only as a new partner and as a new wing in a program <laughs> under us, but yep. also because the work that you do really does help both in the prevention and in the postvention space. Yep. Um, and so I want to dive into that. Um, as you know, we are currently exploring the CDC's seven strategies for suicide prevention. Yep. One of those is economic support and development. So kind of talk us through what that looks like um, from yep. your perspective as the founder of Survivors Joining for Hope yeah. and you know the the last seven years of work that you've been doing. Absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest challenge that I found was, well, initially when I started the nonprofit, I was hoping not to duplicate any services and, and digging in a little bit further, we found that families really didn't have that financial support. There was a lot of work in the prevention care area um, and, and a lot of funding going there, but there just wasn't anything to really help a family uh, when they lose someone by suicide, the you know life insurance for from a perspective of, of financial support, a lot of times has different um, pieces within it that would uh, would not cover a passing by death by suicide. So, really, kind of wanted to bring that piece to the families and help them initially with just the overall burial expense, um, memorial markers. A lot of the families we met with, you'd be surprised, uh, just didn't have the funding to even buy a memorial marker to go. To, to honor their their lost loved ones. So, and we talk about going through grief. I think that having a place to go go and meet and, and be with that person is important. And when there's nothing there to commemorate, memorialize, or bring a legacy to, it makes it difficult. So our initial goal was simply to bring funding to those families, help them with the memorial markers, with the funeral expenses, uh, and it grew from there. It went into 
things that you have a, that there's a little bit tougher conversation around, like biohazard cleanup is a tough. When a firearms use, it's it, it is a challenge to clean up, and and families need help with that restoration work. And we kind of took that further into you know sometimes people need help with estate planning and and whatnot. So it kind of grew just exponentially. And I think the biggest thing we found initially was just that there was nothing. There there really wasn't anything. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, when you talk about not duplicating uh, organizations, we, we kind of found one that, that was a niche for us. And so that was our biggest goal off the start was just simply bringing those economic resources into the community and, uh, and allowing families to find this and utilize this resource for themselves. So it was it was exciting. And, and then it's grown into, you know, support groups and, and meeting families one on one and providing, uh, you know, brief counseling and and all that. So it's 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 interesting the way it's gone. And and I think with the partnership, you know, with Lost and Found is going to be a pretty big keep key piece to kind of growing it further into the future. Yeah. Well, first, I want to say thank you for the work that you're doing, because that's really honorable work, um, you know, on the prevention side of things that yep. we do. And from my own perspective, as a survivor of suicide loss, just like you, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen the back end and right. the, you know, front end of, you know, what the impact of that looks like mm -hmm. when someone dies by suicide. And so I, I just want to say thank you for yeah. the work that you're doing. And again, that's part of the reason why we're so excited right. to have you joining forces <laughs> with us is because it, it enhances and expands our scope yep. for both of our organizations and allows us to do really to do more, which is right. the, the heart of the mission of what we're both doing. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So thanks for sharing your cool. story. Thanks for doing the work. And we just appreciate um, you uh, doing this honorable work. But um, I want to jump into the economic support structures yeah. a little bit further. Obviously, that's a big piece of what you all do. Um, I want to start by just kind of speaking into existence the um, the kind of concept that there is no silver bullet per se when it mm -hmm. comes to suicide. Um, suicide is caused by many factors and suicide prevention is comprehensive um, in its approach. And so we obviously have to strengthen a lot of um, factors um, and supports. And yep. so one of that is economics and yep. um, financial stability. So based on that evidence and um, the CDC that uh, the CDC has provided and um, some guidance that has come out just in other areas of research and um, development, kind of walk us through what that looks like a little bit further from just the work that you've done as well as you know other things that you've seen done in that in that sp space. Yeah, I think from an economic perspective, it's it's interesting to look at kind of just where things are kind of taking place at it's 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 hard to kind of segment it to a specific kind of just income base it, it affects everybody mm -hmm. unfortunately it's it's there isn't anything but there are key factors that can lead to make you know more stressful situations it, it can be you know come down to you know whether there's funding for proper housing you know even just food kind of and, and proper safe safe housing i think is, is a big piece um, you know, making sure that families, you know, are able to get the education necessary. I think there's a lot of different factors that go into it when you think about it from an economic perspective on what can kind of lead to the overall stress and kind of just be another drop in the cup of that person's kind of build up to, you know, a suicide attempt or passing away by suicide. It's never just one cause that right. someone passes away from. It's usually, you know, a constant build up. And I think a lot of it does come down to economics and, and you look at kind of the financial situation, education, housing. Uh, there's a lot of different directions you can take it. And I think when we've kind of looked back on the families that we've helped, it's been a pretty wide variety. I think specifically when you think about the youth, I think that's where we see a lot of different challenges because it's, you know, are, are both, are they coming from a divorced family? Is it, 
you know, are there challenges in the home? Is it an abusive family? Um, there's a lot of different perspectives to take into play. And unfortunately, it's never just, again, one factor. And I think the most common thing that we see is just not necessarily low income, but there isn't enough time to really build that base as a family and provide that but emotional support within. The children are often kind of doing life on their own a little bit. Sure, they're, sure. they're left you know, maybe in a conversation to where they don't have that emotional support. Um, sometimes eating habits, it sounds silly, but if you don't have a, a, good, a good meal, um, that can create challenges as well. And as you kind of peel back the layers of the onion, you kind of find more and more things just from an overall perspective economically that, that are impacting these families we work with. But it's, unfortunately, it's hard to pin down one targeted area that, that from our own specific work that has led people to, to attempt or pass away by suicide as far as the families we help. But, so it's kind of the overall kind of perspective of what we've seen. I think that when I look into more or less the overall financial piece, I think is just, you gotta kind of consider, are they able to get that education and grow their knowledge and understand just a good way of communicating? And unfortunately, I think that's a struggle for a lot of families right now. So it's, it's and COVID created a whole new ball of wax with that situation. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Now, I want to, I guess I want to explore that a little bit further. Yep. Have you, what are the impacts or effects of COVID? Obviously, mm -hmm. it's impacted our overall economy right. in the United States, in the global community that we live in, you know, but as far as that goes to and relates to suicide prevention, postvention, economic support and assistance, how has that taken shape for you? Sure. I think our biggest challenge is the disconnection. Um, we went through a year of basically not seeing anyone, not yeah, communicating. Yeah. Uh, if you're an extrovert, it was probably extra challenging. Um, an introvert, maybe you enjoyed it a little bit. But I think specifically, we found that there is a disconnection. Now, you know, you weren't able to get out, be outside as much. I mean, just some vitamin D can help, you know, boost your mood a little bit. And I think we saw an increase in the overall challenges in the mental health sector. Um, I think, you know, as you look at social media that started to play into it too. That's another piece you have to kind of consider during COVID because it, it brought two things together. We were able to communicate more effective virtually, but I think you lose that bond that kind of comes when you're face to face and, and just the emotional stress. COVID brought on financial challenges, emotional challenges, you know, economically it was a huge factor. Um, health wise, you know, you're now dealing with the stress of COVID. I think just the fear of it created a lot of challenges from a mental health perspective. Um, and, and on top of that, like you have families, um, you know, lots of people that were just struggling in the community to try to find yeah. a way to make things work. And saw a fluctuation. If you go look at some of the EAP programs out there, they, they themselves saw a fluctuation of utilization during that time frame. And, um, you know, we pivoted a little bit to a virtual platform to try to bring the support groups because part of COVID meant your support groups weren't getting together. You're, you couldn't meet as a large group. Um, social distancing sometimes in support groups doesn't work out. So we tried to pivot to a virtual approach with our support group at that time. And, and unfortunately for us specifically, the virtual platform wasn't as effective. We didn't see the attendance that we normally saw. So now you have people that you normally communicate with that are struggling mm -hmm. with mental health no longer present. I mean, you don't know where they're at, what they're doing. And I think you probably saw that in the schools a little bit too, where the students that usually come to school to get their one meal a day are now gone. They're not getting that meal a day. You don't know what they're doing. So that created challenges amongst the youth too, I think. So COVID brought so many just different factors into it that challenge everyone from a mental health perspective. It just, it was almost overwhelming. And I think we're starting to kind of obviously get out of that and, and bring things back. So and there were positives to it. I think it did create a lot of virtual options for people, but those necessarily aren't as effective as we had hoped they would yeah. be. 
Yeah, and that accessibility is so different, you know, yep. like when we're isolated at home, yeah. who knows if we have Wi-Fi or good Wi-Fi, good, wifi, you know, yeah. good enough Wi-Fi <laughs> to even, you know, do virtual meetings and support groups and things like right. that. And, you know, even if you do have that, maybe you're at a home that you can't turn on the screen because yep. it's messy or you're in a one bedroom home with your family or mm -hmm. what have you, you know. Right. So I think that there's there's so many different factors when it comes to accessibility to you know assistance and support and yeah yep. i i just I, I don't think we're quite out of the woods with Not covid quite. yet but we <laughs> I, de close. I definitely think that we are <laughs> moving forward and hopefully we can get back into yeah. this state of we're all meeting again and we can you know go out and socialize again and we can get outside and have some vitamin d and <laughs> yep. you know Definitely. I think Zoom fatigue was real too. I oh think, my God, absolutely. Yeah, I think people just got exhausted with it. And you mentioned that during our support groups, we did see times where people were challenged to find a spot in their home where they could communicate effectively yeah. and kind of have that unbiased, because that's the point of a support group is to have that kind of ability to kind of just decompress, share your feelings and not feel judged. And yeah. not having that space is a great point you brought up is not having that space to really be vulnerable was lost sometimes with families during COVID. So that's yeah. a good point to bring up. As a parent, like you don't want to say certain things in front of your kid right. or as a kid, you don't want to say <laughs> certain things right. in front of your parents and you know, maybe siblings or maybe there is guilt and shame associated with sure. things. And so I think that's a really, really good point that you just brought up. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's interesting, but um, I think we're, we're hopefully moving forward yeah, and let's hope. Uh, we'll be able to, you know, enhance some programs and uh, mm -hmm. be able to provide the assistance, you know, especially with our increased partnership. Right. I think hopefully that will help us out, both of us out. So, effective, yeah. yeah. Better as a team, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> They say teamwork makes the dreamer as cheesy as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving forward a bit here, um, we kind of unpacked this a little bit already, but the connection between economic instability and suicide. Yep. Um, you know, do you have any data that goes to sh support that or show um, in your research and just in your work? Yep. I mean, I think as far as specific data to quote at this point, I don't necessarily have like a drawn out list yeah. of things to kind of quote out. But I mean, we have definitely seen a correlation to lower income families having challenges. Um, I think a lot of times you see it's it's a single parent family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have maybe multiple kids in the house living off one income. I think from a, a parenting perspective, that becomes challenging financially, becomes challenging. And there's a little bit of it's hard to say neglect when you're coming from a one-parent home, but the children don't necessarily have that, again, that emotional support. And so I think as you look at it, there's lots of different factors that kind of come into that. There's some challenges, too, around, um, you know, individuals from an, from a, that grew up without parents. You think about the adoption agencies and people that have kind of transitioned from there to living on their own. And I think we see, we've seen some correlation with, um, you know, people coming out of adoption agencies and struggling with mental health because they just... Yeah, I mean, at that point, all support factors have been removed, mm -hmm. um, which we saw a few families, uh, individuals from that perspective where, you know, they grew up on their own, they had no other support, and they had a hard time communicating. Yeah. And I think with that kind of lack of financial support and stability initially, um, and the lack of kind of structure from a family perspective, it makes communication difficult. Um, and I think communication when it comes to mental health and grief and, and just addressing your own well-being is important. And having that lack of communication or, you know, kind of that old mindset too, where they came from a family that, you know, go back 
15, 20, 30 years, it's, it's you know, you kind of suck it up and deal with it. Uh, and I think there's becoming a transition as far as kind of the conversation goes, which I think, you know, podcasts like yours are, are helping to transition that conversation a little bit. And, and as we kind of explore that, I think that's, you know, as we start to see things kind of progress, things are getting better, but economically it was just, we saw a lot of times where it was a single family home um, that was kind of struggling to get by. I mean, I think that just created lots of challenges for people individually. So um, statistics-wise, I apologize. <laughs> I don't have my own thought. I mean, that's okay. I just, uh, even anecdotic, yeah. you know, ana mm -hmm. anecdotal um, statistics are great. So yeah. the points that you just shared are exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that brings me like to the next point that I really kind of want to dive into uh, was this point about um, the foster care system or yep. the adoption system. The whole purpose of the Great Minds podcast is to connect people so that way we can yep. reimagine systems that are, you know, that we are all part of. Right. Um, so when it comes to systems like the adoption system or the foster care system, you know, where those support structures aren't always fully there. No. You know, like we have work to do in those areas. So in terms of like economic support and assistance for those kind of specific areas, is there like improvements that you see that we could make um, just as people that work in this space or, yeah. as, you know, like what kind of improvements can we make politically or legislatively or culturally? Sure. I mean, there's, there's things there, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, a, I mean, anytime you look at a foster care system, there's, challenges it's it's hard to to say that there's any one challenge i think there's just so many challenges at the point you have a you know a limited staff supporting a large group of people i mean it's kind of you look at a daycare mm -hmm. it's probably a similar example sure. you have two kind of primary leaders trying to guide you know 40 some plus in children or youth that are going through that my brother came from adoption so my brother was adopted from an orphanage out of russia he was from oh, moscow okay um and he so he spent his life alone until he was 11 and wow. You know, moving overseas to to a country, he didn't speak any English. Um, but as he got older, we were able to kind of like work on communication and, and build our relationship. Um, and I think the biggest challenge that from conversations with him was just he, he was on his own. I mean, he was able to ride behind trolley cars to get around town. You know, he he didn't have any money. Um, the meals he was given, you know, two a day. Um, not I mean, not nutritious meals. It's very low quality food because the funding is limited. So yeah. I think. Any additional funding that be, can be given to the foster care system and and supporting families, I think making the adoption process easier. I have I have an Absolutely. adopted son myself, and I think just even that adoption process is a challenge. And if we can get these families into you know homes and and not be so strict on on the structure and be a little more open to that, I think you know if we can get these families in a way to where it's a healthy home, you're going to have a better chance of giving them a more successful life and a better well-being long term. So. Mm -hmm. I think that just it's, I would love to see the cost of adoption come down. I think. Oh my God, absolutely. Yeah, I think just, just minimally you're twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in yeah. if you can get something locally. I think when you think about the native population, the adoption is a, is a challenging process there as you work through their legal system and political system. So I think the more we can open up the doors and open up the conversation and make things, you know, more smooth and more, more convenient and more seamless, I think we can make a bigger impact specifically for the foster care system and those individuals that are growing up kind of alone and that don't have that support. So I think that'd be a fantastic place to start. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many places in that area right now that it'd be hard to kind of just pick one, but I think just cost and, and efficiency, I think are important because it's even for my own son, it was, you know, my wife's biological son, I adopted him and 
that process took nearly a year and a half mm -hmm. to complete. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's not ever a, a quick process, and that should be one of the more smoother ones, you'd yeah. think. And it still took a long time. So lots of challenges out there that, that yeah. can be addressed from that system. Yeah, as someone who grew up not in that world but connected to that world, yep. both my childhood best friends, um, their families okay. fostered um, and then ended up adopting. And so I, from a very young age, knew that that was something that I wanted to do just because I saw the impact of yeah. it. Um, and so for me, that's something that I've always looked at was like the cost and the efficiency and the effectiveness of right. like essentially my best friend's siblings, right. you know, it, it was it was tough for all of them. And so hearing your perspective as right. you have experienced it much more so sure. than I have, like it, it's it's those points, it just drives it home. You know, right. like we, we have work to do to make no, some agree. changes. And if we can be the catalysts to make those change changes, so that way we can keep people alive and right. provide them a sense of well-being and a, a sense of belonging and a sense of financial security. Like, that's, right. let's do it. Right. <laughs> well, and I think as you think about the LGBTQ plus community, I think it's, that's another area where we should open up the doors for adoption. Mm -hmm. like we make it because of our cultural perspectives or our heritage. We, we often don't open doors that should be. Yeah. And you can't tell me those families wouldn't be better off in that scenario versus mm -hmm. being on their own. I think that's an area that has to be addressed and I think it needs to be more efficient and less restrictive. I think we, I mean, that's just an easy place to start where I think it should yeah. just be done. Like yep. it shouldn't be a complicated process. And so. it honestly shouldn't even be a conversation right. at this exactly. point. Exactly. Like <laughs> no, I completely agree. It shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Um, yeah, I don't want to spend a ton of time here. No, you're but okay. I just, I think it's, I think <laughs> we it's could go down like, a rabbit hole. yeah, we, we really could, but I just think it's so important that like, you know, we, we shed some light there just because right. it's something that we both have personal experiences in. Right. Obviously, especially that we both work in the world of suicide prevention and postvention, yep. like, and that's a direct correlation and, and causation. You exactly. know, I think we have to be sharing these stories. Yep. So I agree. Yeah. Anyway, um, moving forward you know, tying things back to suicide prevention and postvention, but um, the connection between economic instability and suicide relate to young people, obviously, but especially who, you know, maybe aren't in their careers yet or are yes. just starting out, that economic instability is greater. And right. so therefore there's a higher risk. Right. Uh, you know, I think back to, I just started my job a year ago and I was unemployed for nine months prior right. because I had left a toxic workplace environment. Um, I also did so during the heart of the pandemic <laughs> and, you know, like just getting back onto my feet as a 28 year old, you right. know, like that was tough. But I think about people who are younger than me entering the world and the workforce right. today in an economy that is not doing very well no. and who have, you know, been privy to a lot of tough experiences right. you know young people today have experienced warfare and gun violence and hate and prejudice like yep. and now they're living in an economic recession yeah it's just Pandemic. it's it's so tough yeah. so how do we move forward and provide our younger generations our future generations a greater system of support right I think it's going to start with maybe career pathing. I mean, I th you mentioned not knowing or kind of not being able to find a career. I think as, as the world's evolving, I think we need to start looking at education and career pathing a little bit differently. We've taken a very traditional route with it. And I think that route worked for a long time, but things are changing. I think obviously, you know, student loans are extremely expensive. And I think going to college obviously is, is certainly extremely valuable. 
Um, but there are situations where, you know, college isn't a good, a tech school might be a good scenario mm -hmm. or a certification might be a good scenario. I don't think everyone is necessarily meant to go to college, but there shouldn't be any shame around that either. Right. I think there should be, you know, you find your path and you understand where you're going and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And you can change that later. I mean, I think about my student debt that I had and, and it was daunting when you get out. And then if you can't find a career, uh, that stress kind of builds on top of yeah. that. Um, yeah. And you kind of keep snowballing. The longer you go without a career, you start questioning your choices. Um, and then maybe you take a job that you end up getting stuck in. You mentioned a toxic culture. Mm -hmm. I think it can all snowball. And I think that if we can set people up to be more successful and kind of step back a little bit and look at the world differently, I think it's, like I said, college isn't for everyone. Tech school isn't for everyone. A certification may not be, but if you're, you know, if you can find an area that fits your passion, I think that's going to be important because going to college is stressful. I mean, it's stressful for anybody. Um, it's not an easy process going to a, you know, for a four-year degree and maybe going further on beyond that. That's time. That's financial. That's it's stress. If you, you know, if you end up committing and then not going all the way, not getting through to graduation. Yeah. I mean, now you have student loan debt, no education. Um, and maybe no job. Yeah. So well, and actually, those people are at even greater risk, right? Because they don't have a degree and/or a job to help out with the right. financial assistance. And actually, I used to work in higher education, so I've seen these numbers. Okay. Those people are actually more at risk of suicide too, and that's a population we don't talk about a lot no. because, I mean, they typically come from privilege or mm -hmm. they have access to things, and right. so they, they're not thought about. But no. when they leave higher education or you know what have you and they don't have a job or a degree like that sets them back right i, I completely agree i think not that there should be an interview process 100 percent to, to start college but i mean i think you need to sit down and kind of have i think maybe i what i would like this doesn't sound a little silly but i think for my own children i would like them to take you know four years after high school and just do nothing like yeah. figure out what you enjoy Take some time to yourself, figure out who you are. I'd almost rather give them the money to invest and travel initially, kind of go explore the world, kind of under, sure. understand multiple cultures, become more worldly, and then come back and start college. Yeah. I think at that point, just because it gives you a better perspective, you can understand. I think it's all perspective a little bit too, as we look outside, if you look at other countries too, you know, poverty is different amongst each mm -hmm. country. And um, you know, if you can have that understanding and that appreciation, it can maybe help with your perspective within, within choosing your kind of career and the college that's best for you and what you want to achieve. And I think just thinking about our mindset around the education system, I think will be kind of key to the future. I think specifically, you know, when you look at the kind of population as they step away and they, if they've gone through two, three years of college, that it's not necessarily grief, but that guilt, maybe that shame is, is overwhelming, I think, yeah. for those students. And as they try to address that, if if they have to move back in at home with their parents and they don't have a place of their own, your feeling, you know, your self-worth, I think, is, is very important. Mm -hmm. you have to, how you view yourself and interpret yourself as an individual ultimately is very important to your value, your overall value. And if, if you go through that and experience that and they're not being, you know, once they leave college, I don't think there's any follow through with them at that point. So it's all on the family or them as individuals to support themselves. Mm -hmm. And if we can make people have students be more successful, create more, you know, I guess, successful graduates and get people to completion i think more efficiently i think it's going to help a lot in the long run and if we can be more open to that and our address our challenges and, and focus more on the development initially i think it's going to be pretty valuable for the mental health yeah i mean just the mental toll of education <laughs> in general is massive yep. but i i think that there's a lot of 
reimagining for right. this, for that system that needs to be taking place. Yeah. So, yeah. But how we many, don't need to dive into that no, either. <laughs> no. Well, how many 40-year-olds still don't know what they want to do? So it's... it's I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, I think there's a transition, too, when you look at the, the, the I guess, career pathing. I mean, you know, at this point, you can kind of do and be whatever you want. And yeah. the, the world is... With the internet and social media, you can go as far as you want or stay as close to home as you want. So I think there's a lot of options out there, but yeah, it's all kind of a transition, I think, with time. Mm-hmm. For sure, everything's evolving and changing, and hundred percent, yeah, which <laughs> makes it even more difficult and honestly a little bit more uncertain. And that's true. That's <laughs> poses true. risks in wow. and of itself. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, um, kind of shifting gears here a little bit um, away from like the suicide risks and support yep. structures and the economic instability. I want to hear a little bit more for our listeners that maybe don't know. Obviously, if they're listening to the show, they're they're familiar with Lost and Found, but maybe they're not familiar with Survivors Joining for Hope and the work that you yep. all do. Could you maybe paint us a brief picture of the, the work that you all have been doing for the last couple of years? I know you, yeah. you did a little bit in your introduction, <laughs> but dive sure. a little bit further into that. Yeah. Um, and specifically the economic assistance that you do provide. Yep. So, I mean, the economic assistance was our first goal. We just wanted to help families financially find the funding necessary to cover, because we, we wanted them to be able to focus on their grief. We didn't want them to worry about the financial, sure. kind of where the money's gonna come from to for their family member they lost. So initially that was where we started. We just simply wanted to provide assistance for burial assistance, grief counseling, funeral costs. Um, and that just kind of snowballed from there. We we grew and we, we slowly added on additional programming, providing on the um, youth support groups. Um, we we our biggest thing was our kind of our peer to peer connection. We we were always positioned ourselves as we weren't a professional counselor. We were not a licensed organization. Our programs were peer to peer. So we would connect individuals with family um, or individuals to people that had shared a similar loss. And I think it's important to when you lose someone by suicide, it's challenging. Um, if they haven't experienced it, it's you sometimes get that step backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted them to have someone immediately to connect with. And so we, you know, if they lost a brother, we tried to connect them with someone that lost a brother. If they lost a child, we tried to connect them with someone that lost a child. And that was kind of our next step beyond the economic assistance um, to give them some sort of fine or emotional support that was able to help them immediately. And I think that was by far probably. Um, one of the most rewarding, but also one of the most challenging pieces of the program. I can imagine, yeah. Again, it's peer-led, so none of us are professionals. We were meeting with families and sharing our experiences and our stories, so we had to make sure that we were safe in our in our own grief process, um, and that creates some some interesting processes. And, and the nice thing was, is with the economic program and adding on the peer-to-peer, that recognition kind of grew in the community, and that increased our funding. So then we were able to give families more financial support. And you know, initially we started off with you know we were maybe giving families a thousand dollars of economic assistance, um, and then you know by year six and seven we were up to maybe five to eight thousand dollars covering full funeral costs. Sometimes in some situations, and I think Amazing. it was it was big for us. And that was you know at this point I think we were we're approaching that that kind of. I think it was a hundred thousand dollar mark as far as total, you know, rewards given out for, for individuals on almost an annual basis, and it was pretty interesting to see where things kind of evolved and came from. So, I think it's going to continue to evolve, and I think the economic assistance, with it being focused on funeral and grief, it, it started to expand because it's you'd be surprised. One of the more unique things I think to discuss was, you know, we had 
we had to pivot sometimes. We would think yeah. we were going to help families uh, with grief, with grief counseling or funeral expenses. And you know, we had a situation where a family's refrigerator went out. Uh, they had six kids, and also on the food in the home, the main income passes away, and there's no longer food for the family. So we pivoted and, and helped them emotionally, help them find that refrigerator. <laughs> um, uh, and Carl's TV and appliances did a great job with that scenario. They got it out there in less than eight hours. It was That's fantastic. Awesome. So they had that, and you know, even further with that, that kind of that legacy that. You know, as you kind of do estate planning, mm -hmm. sometimes we help families financially there just to find a way to kind of evenly give things out. Money can be challenging if there is life insurance involved. Um, you know, when you try to help a family out, it can sometimes rip, rip families apart. So we had to be yeah. a little careful with how the economic, you know, support was being given. So there's a lot of different ways and factors we had to approach it from. Um, but at the end of the day, it was just, you know, it was rewarding kind of helping families and, and being able to give that to them and, you know, expecting nothing in return, just simply helping them and, and hoping they can focus on their grief long-term was, was our big focus. And yeah. that's only continuing to grow. And I think as we continue, we service the, the whole state of South Dakota, um, all funding was coming from South Dakota, so we kept it in-house. So we'll, we'll see where it goes now though with the new partner, with a new acquisition going on. I love that, that's exciting. I really love the fact that like you shared this piece about the um, refrigerator going yeah. up because someone once told me through my grief um, and you know my like, loss um they were had also lost some of themselves and so they but they shared with me this really sweet sentiment that i have always kind of latched onto you can help me financially you can help me make meals you like bring meals to me you can help me with whatever and that's all sweet and fine but the thing that like makes the smallest or the, that seems the smallest but makes the biggest impact is those little things like when a refrigerator goes out yeah. or when i haven't done laundry in three weeks because i can't get myself out of bed right. or i just need my dishes done or you know those yep. like little things that you don't think of right but they mean the most nope, and i've always thought about like that and so now when i'm working and especially now in this world like i have met so many cool people who have experienced great losses and the thing that i want to do for them is just let me take your children for the day so yep. you can have some time to focus on yourself or focus on the needs that you have right. financially or emotionally or whatever. Like, let me come over and I'll do your dishes or I'll mow your lawn, you yep. know, like that sort of stuff. It like, it means something. So I agree. This, this sentiment that you just shared, I think is really powerful. Yeah. A lot of times it goes beyond financial. The financial piece was great, but we saw the most interaction with the people we helped when it was more around kind of the the non-financial support. Yeah. I mean, that's where we built our relationships and that's exactly found where our support. built our relationships. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I I just love that I had to share because I thought it was just <laughs> no, like it, it lines it, up it, well it home with yeah. me. So yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, I'm really excited for this partnership. I think the work that you're doing is so cool and it, it aligns with our mission with Lost and Found. And I think again it hits personally and so that's it adds another layer of things. But um, thanks so much for sharing, you know, nope. the work that you're doing for our listeners who might not know. Um, yep. I hope that they will you know, get to know your work very soon and very quickly um, yeah. because you're now part of us. And so I am. We're excited. Sure. We're excited. We <laughs> um, so moving on, um, I know we're short on time here, but I want to wrap things up here with a couple of um, final questions. One being, um, what final thoughts do you have um, as far as anything that relates to suicide prevention, postvention, um, you know, financial assistance, economic supports, risk factors, yep. the list goes on and on. 
what final thoughts do you have that, you know, like maybe stand out to you that like maybe people don't know, a, a layperson who's not familiar or, you know, just something that is exciting or very challenging for you? I don't know. What final thoughts do you have that are the things that you could share with our listeners? Sure. I mean, I think, I think suicide as a whole, I think is progressing and mental health, just suicide and mental health itself is progressing forward. And I think just being, I think we need to be more open-minded and I think it's, I think if we can bring people together and, and kind of bring down some of our walls, I think there's a, over the last, specifically over the last three years, it's been challenging. We've seen, mm -hmm. I mean, you brought them all up with the racial challenges, you know, the pandemic, you know, economic challenges. I think that, you know, as we kind of approach this in the future, I think the more we can work together and collaboratively approach mental health as a group, I think the more effective we can be. I think it's, you know, I specifically go towards like the male kind of generation, just, just, or the male perspective where we constantly say we're fine, but we're yeah, not fine. Yeah. I think as males, we need to learn to open up a little bit more and have a more detailed conversation. And I think when we say we're fine, there's a lot of times that we're not. Um, and I think the best way to approach that is just asking someone. I think oftentimes we're afraid to ask. We, mm -hmm. we let it go in passing. We don't have the conversation. And I think if we can open up the conversation, you know, when someone says they're fine, ask them if they're really fine. You know, yeah. is there, can, you know, I'm, tell them you're happy to listen and don't, don't shut the door on them um, and give them a resource and an outlet. Because that's, I think when it comes to suicide prevention, it starts with conversation and emotional support. Yeah, um, so, and if you run into another survivor of suicide loss, I think just, just listen don't you know a lot of people want to step backwards it's an uncomfortable conversation but sometimes we have to be we have to be comfortable with the uncomfortableness um to move forward and and sometimes it's you know i tell my son all the time that you know the things you know that are scary to you are because you don't necessarily understand them mm -hmm. or you haven't experienced them but when you go through and you experience them it gives you a different perspective so yeah. being able to understand the perspectives and have that conversation are just invaluable i think and absolutely coming together is going to be very important especially with the lost and found and survivors you know we're coming yeah. together as an organization yes. to make a bigger impact mm -hmm. so i think the more that we can come together as a community the more impact we'll have on improving mental wellness and mental yeah. health yeah I uh, tell people all the time, like, why I got into this work is because yep. I understand this pain that I don't ever want someone else to understand. And if right. the one thing that I do can make an impact, <laughs> like, so you don't have to feel the way that I have felt, right. I'm doing my job. Yeah. You know, and that's why I've shifted into this space. And so I think that, I mean, that's what we're going to be doing together. Right. And that's, Absolutely. that's, I mean, we're going to bring everyone into the fold with us. Yeah. So. Whether like it or not. <laughs> I love it. Well, closing things out here. Um, do you have um, any books, podcasts, movies, things oh, that boy. you could like recommend to our listeners if they want to learn more? Obviously, plug your website. Yeah. Um, you know, your podcast, whatever else that you yep. might have. But is there anything that you, like resources that you would send to listeners who want to learn more? Yep, I think just going to our website, survivorsjoiningforhope.org, um, will give you plenty of resources as far as the support that we provide. Um, it'll give you access to, you know, there's videos out there from when it comes to mental wellness, mental health. Check out our podcast, Society Rewire. We kind of talk openly and honestly about um, mental health and different careers, because I think as you look at, we've talked about it just earlier, different careers, you know, being a 911 operator, mm. you know, having a child go through cancer and what that does to you from a mental health perspective. Um, you know, there's lots of different conversations that we have on that podcast that people don't often think about. So it brings new perspective to, to just what it means to, to deal with mental health from a variety of different angles. So I think checking out our podcast is a great place to find resources. And, you know, I think obviously, uh, your guys' website's a fantastic uh, 
I'm going to mess it up. Is it resilience? Today. Today. Thank you. Org. is a fantastic website. <laughs> I know. I was like, <laughs> I was questioning myself for a second there, but that's, I mean, a fantastic way to find additional resources too. So, um, you know, and if you don't know, just, just reach out. I mean, I think both our websites have ways to get in touch with us and, you know, get a hold of us. And, you know, if we can't, we don't have a resource, we'll find, help you find one. So I think that's key. Definitely. Well, thanks again so much for sharing your story and yeah. sharing your work. And thank being, you for having me. Yeah, being on today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review Great Minds wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more information about Lost and Found, go to resilienttoday.org. That's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-T-O-D-A-Y.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Resilient Today. Until next time, do more and stay well.